it's not something it's something you just assume like that person can do but there's like all these like steps to be able to leave your country and so I just don't think it should be reserved for just people with money you know I, I don't think Im immigrating and moving and experiencing other places should just be for people that are rich or like not like rich but you know just have like you know, don't ha like have money to spend on it and, or, or risk it. Like, you know, like, cause some people, like a lot of the people that migrate um, are risking everything. Hello everyone. Welcome to the Lost Boy Academy. On this episode, I spoke with Valentina Flogel. Aside from being one of my best friends, Val is currently obtaining her second master's degree in international migration, focusing on immigration in South America. At the same time, she's working as a research assistant for university professors researching the experiences of asylum seekers in the United States. She's also volunteering at organizations that help asylum seekers who immigrated to the country. In addition to talking about these experiences, Val shared her recent experience in moving to New York, how her internship in Chile formed her interest in issues around migration, and some of the habits she practices to manage anxieties. I appreciate her positive character, and I'm excited about what the future holds for her. Please give it up for Valentina Flogel. Panda. Panda. Yeah, I, I see your I see you a lot on your story. Yeah. She's so cute. Is it a boy or a girl? She's a girl. I see. I mean, she doesn't really care, but a lot of people think she's a boy because she has a gender neutral collar, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Wait, what do you mean? Like her collar is like Ah, uh, okay. It's not blue or like or... yeah. So she's an angry dog because I woke her up but yeah so they always assume she's a guy and then I'm like oh it doesn't really matter but right. she's a girl oh it's cute because <laughs> you, you you brought her from all the way from Florida right well I brought her I'm actually in Florida right now oh, um, really? but I oh so you yeah, brought you brought, her, brought her back with you yeah right. well yeah so yeah i brought her from chile actually yeah. to florida wow. and then yeah <laughs> from florida to new york and then now we came to florida for like a month because right. my mom like has this like surgery thing mm. and she like needed um needed my help so i like mm. got here like a couple days ago and um i see i think i'm gonna go back to new york maybe in like january at some point so okay because yeah. everything i do is from home so it's like right yeah so it's it, it, it the only thing is like traveling is kind of weird right now but um right right yeah that's uh yeah. one of the things i want to like kind of ask you about as to mm. like what you do uh, nice tattoo oh thank you yeah i went to new york and got tatted wow that's uh, that's a fox <laughs> yeah so this dude that um he, it's just like he does um like he's an illustrator but he yeah. started tattooing and all of his stuff is generally just like his personal stuff like I didn't 
commission it or anything yeah. and i just really liked it and he um yeah it looks good i mean it's just like i liked that it was like a fox with like plants coming out of it uh, um okay yeah it has like flowers did, coming out of did it did he like design yeah he drew like it's like his from his brain his whole like did you ever read um where the wild things are like the yeah, monster yeah, books yeah, yeah, yeah. so his whole like kind of vibe is like that type of art like he draws like a lot of like monster like looking things right. and like it, it's very like line work and he just posts like his sketchbook and so i just liked this one and he's he was still an apprentice so okay. he um tattooed me like i don't know kind of like cheap for new york but it's still it was like right. still like 300 dollars um but uh and then we became super good friends he's really cool and so now we hang out all the time really so funny yeah wow. <laughs> yeah he's like one of my closer friends in new york but like hmm. yeah because like when he it took like four hours or something or five yeah. almost so we were like talking the whole time and he's super chill and like he's a photographer and like he he ended up like i found out after he went to the same university as my roommate so then, huh. like, we all hang out, and it was, like, very random, but, um, yeah, oh, it was really current, cool. current roommate. Yeah, like, the girl that I moved in with randomly also oh, knows okay. him, so I was, like, this is so f- weird world, this small wow. kind of thing, but, They're both yeah, how are you? New York? Yeah, no, no, she's oh. from Chicago, but oh, she okay. went to school in Georgia, because she's, like, an art school person, so they, right. there's this art school in, jo- in Georgia, and then Matt, who tattooed me, went to art school as well for photography. And so they, they didn't like, they weren't friends, but they like kind of knew of each other. Right. And so then when he tattooed me, she was like, oh, I think I, I know that guy. And then like, now we all hang out and he's like really cool and everything. It's just funny. Wow. Cause like I met him because he was my tattoo artist, but wow. yeah. How are you? How are you? What are you doing? <laughs> not, not, <laughs> not much to be honest. Like you biked around Japan. That's fucking crazy. That's so cool. I'm so jealous. Yeah, yeah. No, I, uh, yeah, I biked around Japan um, from like end of September for about, it was only for about like 13 days. I mean, I didn't realize, like, first, I didn't realize how small Japan was, but yeah. also how, you know, much cycling can get you. Um, it's crazy like the perspective it must give you of like Mm -hmm. space but um that's awesome that Aya went with you too like yeah 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 she uh you know uh, she like not 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 like it's not like I was like any faster than her but you know she kept it up and also I was biking with like a foldable bike with smaller wheels yeah I noticed that which is kind of crazy but yeah that's why I think it, it balanced out well in terms of <laughs> yeah no it's I, I feel like japan's like a good place to do that because like like there's like kombinis like all yeah, over because yeah, yeah, yeah. like here it's like i feel like you can go like so like even in new york like it's like it's it's so you can go so long without like really realizing where you can find the same stuff because there's not like a family mart they're like all small kind of like family owned businesses right so there's not like the like hmm? bodegas they call them yeah so it's not like the same as like being like oh i'm just i want like a family mart like coffee or like Mm -hmm. a lawson uchi cafe cheesecake thing but you can't do that so yeah Um, there's 
way too in this kombini yeah there there are yeah we usually our lunch was just stopping by a kombini and you know even if you miss one there's like another one like you know yeah in rural areas um, i know yeah and then you probably went to a bunch of the the like more like there's always like special ones in rural areas like i remember yeah. sapporo had like a different one yeah like the super local ones yeah yeah but yeah i miss the sun sun there's one that was like sunkus like next to my yeah, house yeah, 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 in yeah, nakano yeah. and then yeah. the family mart like bought it and changed uh, like turned it into like a family mart it made me so upset it was like i liked it it was like old looking and now it's just like family mart i actually don't see that <laughs> i'm sure they still exist but i think they got bought out by family mart so they're wow. just like slowly turning all of them into family marts which right, is upsetting yeah um do you know yamazaki yamazaki bread or whatever it's like oh kombini. yeah yeah they have like they actually bake breads um in, in kombini yeah they sell like fresh baked uh breads so. i don't know i don't really eat much bread so no carbs yeah not really well you know <laughs> you, you you're the one who taught me to carb load so yeah honestly <laughs> yeah no no it is a thing and i didn't realize that um but you, you said that you're supposed to eat carbs the day before you exercise a lot i think it's like a couple days before uh, like a couple days <laughs> okay yeah so i guess it's like this thing that I don't I'm not a scientist but I feel yeah. like when people do like marathons or like long hikes yeah. like if you eat a lot of carbs it like it's something to do with like how your body like turns it into energy oh, and totally, so like I think yeah and so I think it's like not I don't know if it's necessarily the, it might like I think like the day before like the night before it helps but also I think like the whole week before you're supposed mm. to be like eating more carbs if you're going to do like a big thing Yeah 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 definitely Yeah, I I try to uh you know, stuff myself with carbs uh, in the morning. Uh we mm -hmm. we usually go to kombini yeah, in the morning um and yeah, I just eat whatever like pasta or rice balls or <laughs> you know. And, yeah, and then yeah. You, you're just kind of constantly hungry throughout the day cycling. So Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty nice. Um Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know not. if I would have been able to do it. I would have loved to do it, but I don't I definitely don't think I could have kept up. I mean, I'm like a slow hiker yeah, too. Yeah. No, I mean I feel like anyone can yeah, anyone can do it. Um but yeah, like you said everyone has different pace. Um Yeah. Yeah, I think anyone can really do it. But yeah, the roads are very Rose in I don't know in the states, but the roads here are obviously much uh, narrower, so it's mm -hmm. uh, very um, like cyclist friendly. Uh, yeah. Just because the distance between all the cars and yourself are uh, it's so yeah. close, which is scary, especially in the tunnels. Uh, mm -hmm. tunnels yeah, I know. I can imagine. Yeah, tunnels were just yeah. But um, yeah. What's uh, how's how has it been like you know living in New York? um moving from tokyo and you know what uh what's it been like like in terms of um some of the challenges that you faced or um something that turned out to be really good um well what's weird i guess is that 
being in New York has, and I, I think the pandemic probably has a lot to do with this, but um, has been harder for me than when I moved to Tokyo. And like, I, cause I don't, and it's weird because like Tokyo, like I didn't speak the language. I like didn't really know a lot of people when I moved there. Like you weren't living there when I moved there cause you were in Canada. And Jordan, I think was like in the US like, um, like visiting his parents or something when I when I first moved there so I didn't really know anybody um but I think because I was like I was in a space where other people it was easier to find other people that felt like me because there were a lot of foreigners Mm. or like I don't know also maybe because it was something like so new and exciting for me but it, it was a little bit hard, but like the adjustment period, I feel was easier. Like in New York, I, I still don't feel at home there. I like, like, it's weird because yeah, I speak the language and everything, but like, it's maybe it's also a thing about New York, but it's just, a, it's such a cold, like emotionally cold place. Huh. Um, and it's, it's just hard to live there because like driving sucks. Cause there's like, potholes everywhere the subway sucks like Mm. I mean it's fine like I don't want to be like shit talking New York like I still enjoy it but like it's yeah it's it's so different from Tokyo and so like being like having lived there for two years and then moving to another big city where like there's no vending machines anywhere which is such a small thing but but it's a big thing like it's like you get used to like these weird little like things like comforting things that you're like okay well if I go to the station then like I can find a bathroom and I can like have like a convenience store I don't know Mm -hmm. like New York is just like it's not that and maybe if I lived in Manhattan it would be that way but like I live in Brooklyn and it's kind of a different it's just Mm -hmm. it's a different vibe and and I just haven't really had the chance to meet a lot of people. And um, and so for like social life and like feeling like, like feeling at home, right. it's kind of been really difficult, but for like career wise and school, it's been great. Like right. I've been, I've met so many awesome people that like work in the field that I wanna work in. I've like gotten a job with a couple professors um I like kind of adapted to you know online school which still sucks but you know Mm -hmm. you get used to it and some of it has been really good because like people that maybe normally wouldn't have been able to give classes are being able to give classes now because it's all on zoom um and so I feel like it was a good move like I've I've made a step I think towards a career that like at the beginning of the year I didn't know that I wanted like I wasn't sure if I wanted to stay in academia mm-hmm. so um it's been really good for that and like also like there's some parts of New York that are really cool like people like the people there are just like it's it's such an old city and like there's just it's so diverse and it's so different from anywhere I've ever lived before um so I think maybe it just takes longer to feel that like comforting feeling that you get from like I don't know like when I come home to Florida I'm like okay this is like um like my mom's house so I feel kind of more at home here than I do there you know right so I guess if it wasn't you know obviously for COVID then you probably would have obviously um you know been more social and uh, fulfilling maybe other aspects 
of your life. Well, it would have made me have to go into school and like into work. And so then, you know, you meet people in those kind of instances. But like, since everything's online, it's just like, yeah, because you moved to New York when the COVID uh, hit the US. I moved like, literally, like, I'm gonna say like two weeks before like it was before like no one knew it was gonna happen and yeah. so like I moved there like in February yeah and I just moved into my apartment like March 1st because mm-hmm. I was staying with some friends and then um and then yeah like it like it was like I just moved into this like apartment with two people I'd never met before like I just met them like on a Facebook group right and um and yeah, and then all of a sudden it was like, hey, like they're going to start shutting down flights. And so like this one, because I lived with two people and then one of them just kind of left and like mm. went to like her parents' house or something. And she was gone like four months because like she couldn't come back after that because New York got really bad in March. And and so yeah, me and uh, Ree, who's my roommate now still, uh, luckily got along really well <laughs> because yeah. we had to really like share a space and like um yeah now we live in a two-bedroom apartment um me and her so like we did get along enough to like move in together again right but um but yeah I moved like literally it was like I had it's funny because I had like two weeks to kind of explore New York in a normal way like I didn't know that COVID was going to happen but in those two weeks I like went to this lecture that I met like one of the people I'm working for at so it was like a weird networking kind of like Mm -hmm. miracle (laughs) because like I had met her there and then later on I'd like kept in contact with her because I like had emailed her um and she asked me to like if I could like help her out with some research and then it just kind of turned into a job and like so it was like oh I'm really glad I like did that with my time because if not I was like so stressed I would have to leave New York because Mm -hmm. Was like I can't get a job with like COVID right now. Right, it's crazy. Right, right. So. Okay, so you moved to New York and you weren't. Um, wait, are are you uh, are you studying right now in grad school? Yeah, okay. I'm doing. Yeah, uh, because I moved there kind of like, like as a risk. Like it, it was like a, I don't want to be in Florida anymore because like I was like, getting sick of being here, yeah. and I'd moved from Tokyo like. I, I moved back to the States um, in October, 2019. Um, and so I was in in Florida and then like, I went to visit a couple of friends and traveled around, but then like by like December, I was like, I need to like leave and like do something. Like I just got a degree and like, I'm not working. And I was applying to a million jobs and like mm. getting rejected or getting zero responses oh, really? anyway, like before COVID, yeah. Jobs, um, in, jobs in Florida or just, all over the no it was well a lot of the jobs were actually in New York which is part of the reason why I moved here because or moved there um was like I wanted to work in like organizations that were helping immigrants or Mm -hmm. human rights organizations or like any type of like nonprofit type of thing so I was applying to a bunch of jobs like that and like um a lot of them were just in New York so I was like maybe if I'm there it'll be easier to get a job and so um but then I also had applied to this program in New York in international migration. Mm-hmm. That's another master's, which right. actually your dad wrote me a recommendation letter for. Okay. But. <laughs> oh no, he told um, me, he told me the other day, actually. 
Yeah. And so like that, it's another MA and like, I already have an MA, but like my reasoning was like, okay, I want to focus on migration. And so getting an MA will like maybe help get or an MA in specifically migration, not just like global studies, which right. I had gone before, um, would help me get a job in that. And so, and then as I started it, I realized that like a lot of the work I like doing is research. And so like, <clears throat> if I can get a PhD, like, which is what I'm trying to do now, like I'm trying to, I'm applying to PhDs, but I'm still just in the MA program. Mm -hmm. But if I can get a PhD and like get funded, then like I can kind of relax on like having to work so much and go to school and like fund my life in New York. Cause that's the other thing. New York mm -hmm. is insanely expensive. It's so much more expensive than Tokyo. So like, it's, it's just, it's so hard to like live there and be like going into debt and then also being like, all right, well, maybe I'll get out of debt mm -hmm. once I start working, but like, who knows when that's going to be. So, um, so yeah, it's just kind of been like a lot of risk taking and like, hopefully it works out if yeah, I like yeah. kind of go this way. Yeah. So, huh. Seems like it, it's, it has been working out now, now you, that you are studying, but also working. Um, yeah no like it's definitely like slowly gone to like like you know the days where I was like oh I'm like wasting my time now I'm like okay I'm glad I did that because yeah, yeah. um there's a lot of random things that happen that you don't think are important and then they like later on be like become something that helps you and like actually even in Tokyo I met this professor who gave a lecture at Sophia University and we've still been in contact mm -hmm. and um and now he's like one of like my mentors basically like he helps me like he wrote also wrote me a recommendation letter for a phd program oh wow um and like he like him and i talk all the time about like and he's in london or in essex um but like north of london i think um mm -hmm. and he just like he's been such a like an awesome like kind of influence and like mentor and like support yeah. so anytime like I because like I mean my mom is amazing but she's like you know she's never like been in the in like college or like mm -hmm. hasn't done all of this so she's like so supportive on everything but doesn't always know like like I don't know like I can't ask her like do you think this um personal statement is like good right. or is this like writing sample good for yeah, me to yeah, submit yeah. to this so like he's kind of been really really helpful in that and that's just someone I met like at a lecture in so at Sophia like two three years ago so like I don't know it's weird that like stuff that ends up kind of helping you later on mm -hmm. uh, so so you kind of um you moved to New York and you were already enrolled in this master program then well that's the other thing I hadn't been accepted yet but I oh, okay, I like okay. thought I would be I had right, already right. applied I see but yeah I hadn't been accepted yet I was just kind of like I'll probably get accepted yeah. so I'll just kind of risk it and move I to see. New York but yeah I mean like you know the the job that that you're doing and also the volunteer work which I want to kind of you know get into later I want to ask you about yeah they're they're both related to obviously the field that you're are applying mm -hmm. for. yeah no it's yeah they've they've both like worked out in like being exactly like kind of what I'm interested in yeah, so I'm like yeah. getting like very immersed in 
studying immigration and from different perspectives and so mm -hmm. it's been really interesting yeah. because I have like an academic perspective and I also have like a work right. perspective huh. but yeah so like I I knew when you're you know it, when you're in Tokyo and studying um your master's there global studies that when um I guess I don't really know how master works but you know when you're when you have to choose, I guess, your uh, thesis topic, um, you chose immigration uh, policy, mm -hmm. I guess. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. And uh, yeah, and then, you know, now you're working, um, now you want to pursue, whether that's in academia or in your work life, um, in a field that has to do with immigration. And mm -hmm. I guess you, you wrote specifically um, from uh, South American uh yeah that's immigrants. yeah that's kind of what I want to focus on now um because in Japan I did it on like refugees in Japan and it was really interesting and like awesome and then like all of the barriers that I experienced were because I didn't speak Japanese mm -hmm. and not with the refugees but with the organizations because a lot of the refugees in Japan don't don't speak Japanese but when I would like I wanted to contact like the government like I wanted to ask them about their policies and stuff like I couldn't so I thought you know if this is work I enjoy I should kind of do it in a place where I know I like since I speak Spanish I can do it so I'm kind of trying to focus now on immigration in South America and um and right. kind of a similar thing that I did in Japan but like apply it and then I can do a lot more research there being able to speak the language yeah, yeah that definitely makes sense but why uh, did you why do you think you got into studying about immigrants and the policy mm. around um, this movement of people well i guess i i think the first time i like got interested in it was kind of like a an accident because i mean of course like i am an immigrant so like i it's always been kind of part of me as being an immigrant, um, like From growing up in Chile. Florida. Yeah. 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 So like, you know, my parents spoke Spanish at home. And so like my home life was always different than like my friends' home lives mm -hmm. that weren't immigrants. And so like, I was always aware of immigration, but I was like in undergrad, like before I ever studied immigration, I was really interested in philosophy and like human rights. Like I, like I liked, human like thinking about human rights like perspective and yeah. so when I um when I graduated um I was kind of looking before grad school I was looking for jobs kind of like at NGOs and like human rights watch and stuff like that and um I had to move to Chile because my dad got sick and so like I had to kind of postpone job hunting and move to Chile. And when I was in Chile, I like kind of wanted to make the most of my time there. So I, I like started looking for internships when I was there and I found one at Amnesty International, which is like a human rights organization and it's right. an like international organization. Um, but, um, and it was like, like, I don't know, like 10 minutes, like 10 minute walk from my house. So it was like really convenient. So I was like, cool, this will give me some like, you know, work experience, even if it's like not paid and um, I can be in Chile. And so like I started working at Amnesty 
and they put me like they have like different groups in Amnesty International that look at especially like it depends on the office but the office in Chile like focused on a couple things and like one of them was like LGBTQ rights one of them was um like activism and like education in human rights and then one of the groups was in immigration and refugees like issues right and they just put me in the immigration group and so it was the first time I ever like thought about immigration as like a field of study Mm -hmm. and um and so like I met a bunch of people that were volunteers for amnesty that were lawyers or were like political scientists or were just activists that cared about immigration and so then it just kind of it made me like I don't know it really engaged me and so I'm, I still talk to them and, it, and they all of their work was to advocate like they really wanted to change the Chilean immigration law and so we kind of like I mean I was mostly just learning so I just kind of like helped them with whatever they needed to do like set up events or sometimes we'd like um, put on like um, presentations at different schools like teaching people about immigration and and in Chile, there wasn't really historically a lot of immigration, but now there's like a lot of immigrants coming in from like Venezuela and Haiti and um, Colombia. And so there's a lot of just like anti-immigration movements and like racism and discrimination. And so what Amnesty was trying to do was kind of, you know, teach people about immigration to not be afraid of immigration. And so, um, and that was in 2016 that I was doing that. And so then when I went to Japan, um, even though like I was studying global studies, I like knew like when I applied to Sophia University, like I told them that I wanted to do my thesis on some type of immigration or refugee okay. issue in, in Japan. Like I knew that that was what I was interested in. I just didn't, I think at the time I didn't even realize that you could like, like have a master's in that, you know, right. like I just thought it was like a part of like international studies mm-hmm. because immigration, you know, Um, And then, like, because of that, I met, like, more professors and people that, like, study actually just, like, focus completely on immigration. And a lot of the time it's through sociology. And, um, and that's, like, kind of what made me, like, real, like, be like, you know, I just ended up always kind of going back to it. And so now I'm like, all right, well, it, it feels like important. And immigration is, like, something that is in everything and so like you know human rights which I was interested in before like it's a big thing in immigration because you know immigrants are a lot of the time victims of human rights violations because you know they're um, often people that are you know paid less and and exploited because they're not like citizens of a country and so um, it's just like I feel like it's a very important topic and Mm. um, and I also uh, I also feel like in the future, it's just like gonna keep being more important because people keep moving. If it's because their economic situation's bad or sometimes it's because Mm -hmm. they have to, like in the case of refugees, um, now as like the climate starts changing, you know, people are having to leave places because they're becoming like uninhabitable. So people have to move a lot and and borders are just kind of becoming less um, like, like they're becoming something that's more debated, like less of Mm -hmm. like a norm. Like you think like, oh, it's, you know, the American border is like basically, you know, the people that are in it matter more than the people that are outside of it. And I feel like a lot more people are actually like saying, no, that's not 
that's not the case. And a lot of the time, a lot of the great people that live in the U.S. are immigrants. And so it's it's something that I just think is really important to like understand and to like have like proper um, education on it because a lot of the a lot of the time people um, talk about immigration from like a scared standpoint mm-hmm. or like from a like us versus them or from like I don't know like there's a lot of fear mongering in immigration mm-hmm. and like they're coming to take your jobs or coming to like take your things and like when you study it you realize like that's not the case it's never been the case but like it just mm-hmm. has worked out to make that narrative of immigrants because you know then you can pay them less you don't have to give them papers and like it ends up helping out the economy a lot Mm -hmm. if you just kind of don't treat them as full human beings almost so I don't know I just I think it's a very interesting topic and that it's very important and it will be for probably forever so huh you know how you said you first got into human rights first before Mm -hmm. kind of and philosophy um before getting you know uh into immigration but i feel like um this is just my personal opinion or assumption but people who are um get into human rights or are activists um they not necessarily but Mm -hmm. they themselves have experienced some sort of um not like discrimination or like, you know, witnessing mm-hmm. or something that um, had to, it had to impact the person in some way, uh, I think, to uh, mm-hmm. make a decision uh, or to be interested in human rights and, and do something about the experience um, that you had or something that you witnessed. But did you have any of those things? Um, or... mm, well, I guess I did like, not personally, but mm-hmm. um in Chile, like, there was, like, this, um, like, something I was really interested in studying when I was, like, kind of in early college was um, the, like, U.S. intervention of um, the Chilean, like, socialist government in, like, the 1970s, and they overthrew this, like, democratically elected leader and they put in a dictatorship, like it, it was US backed, mm. but it was like the, mm. the Chilean military that did it. And they like put people into concentration camps, like people that were like of leftist thinking or like academics, a lot of people that right. were more liberal in their thinking. Um, yeah, they got murdered or they like a lot of people disappeared is like, um, and so there's huh. still movements about like people that had that whose bodies they never found they don't know what happened to them and this happened not just in Chile it also happened in Argentina and like a lot of places and so um I I was doing like when I was like I think in like my um second year of college or my third I was sorry this is my no. kitchen um I was doing um like a certificate in Latin American studies as well wait um, sorry when you're in college when I was an undergrad like when I was yeah like it was like like maybe like 2013 or something like a really long time ago I was interested in Latin America and so human rights were like this big topic in Latin America because like there were all these human rights violations and there are still people that kind of um have um like organizations that are dedicated to these people that in the 70s were like 
murdered and disappeared and like never like found and so um I was like kind of interested in that and then there's like um in Chile there's this museum called like the museum of memory where they kind of take you through like all of these horrible things that happened in 1970 um 1973 which is when the coup happened and when a bunch mm-hmm. a, a lot of like artists were killed um and activists and whatnot and so I think that kind of interested me in in that and also I think I was just really interested in um in like philosophy as just like a like I don't know I was reading a lot of uh like Plato like very early philosophy and and a lot of the discussions were like about ethics and like you know what is good and like all this stuff and Mm -hmm. so I think I, I was just kind of like gravitated towards like this type of like very like I don't know like almost like social justice right. uh, feeling that I like wanted to like you know understand and kind of do something about um, because of that. I see, yeah, and it, I guess it it also um, makes anybody feel good to um, to work in those fields and helping others and. Yeah. yeah yeah I think yeah for sure it's it's I don't know if um I don't know it's it's a weird thing to 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 analyze because like when you like talk about like I don't know whenever I tell anybody that like oh I work in like immigration or I volunteer in this mm-hmm. or they're always like oh my god like you're like you're like so like it's like I'm like doing this service right or whatever and I I I don't know it doesn't feel that way really because Uh sometimes I'm like I don't really feel like I'm helping that much like I'm just kind of doing this like small thing that is just kind of you know that can easily be like I feel like the focus on the people helping or on the people trying to help isn't like good either because like you know the important thing are the communities that you're trying to help you know so um it's weird to kind of be like yeah like I help people because like I don't know it's it's it does feel good but it also feels kind of frustrating sometimes just because you realize like how little people like have access to because like access to what to, to like I don't, when you're helping like for example like for one of the immigration organizations I like help out mm-hmm. I help people like apply for a work permit right. or something and so I'm like like doing this and I'm just like it's crazy that this is something they can legally completely do but like they don't like no one is telling them how to do it like from the government you know or they're not getting like the access basically right. to do it themselves and so like people like me need to volunteer just in order for someone Mm -hmm, to be able to do that you know and so it's frustrating because you're like yeah like it feels good that I'm helping but it's also like really frustrating that I even need to be helping because you know um but yeah Mm -hmm. I see yeah that's an interesting take on that but yeah I guess yeah the more you're involved in um uh area of human rights i guess you you see a lot of the not the dark side but um just like i mean it is kind of a dark side 
Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah. So please. Well, it's it's just like, I feel like there's um, like a glorification of a lot of like people that work in like, I don't know, like Human Rights Watch or like the UN, like the UN or like the UNHCR. And like, there's like all these like organizations that like, yeah, there are people there that are like doing work to help people, but it's just like, some of it is just so performative and it's not, mm-hmm. um, like why are, if, if the UN is ex- has existed for so long, like why is this still a problem <laughs> kind of, you know, it just. Yeah, yeah that's true. Sorry, my mom is. No, it's okay. <laughs> I, keep, I keep forgetting that you're uh, in Florida. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's so much warmer than New York right now, so it's really yeah. nice because it was snowing in New York, and so like yeah, coming yeah. to Florida is like the opposite. I went yeah. from like negative one degrees to like twenty six. Twenty six. Like Celsius. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah I was. FaceTiming Alice the other day, um, and it was really it was snowing a lot. Um, in snowed. in California? It, uh, I, sorry, in New York. Yeah. Oh yeah. She's Wait, in she's York. in New York. Yeah, she's uh, visiting Brant. Um, oh. Spending, I think, Christmas there or something. Oh, cool, yeah. man! I missed her. Yeah, I know. I I didn't mention it about you uh, to Alice. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> But I guess it's just like a pretty COVID-y time. Yeah, no, for like, yeah. Yeah. Um, what was I gonna say? <laughs> oh yeah. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, feel free. This isn't. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm not just gonna throw a bunch of questions or one-sided. So you know, just <laughs> please feel free to explore your mind or whatever. But um, can you tell me about what uh what sort of um, organizations that you currently work slash volunteer mm-hmm. um yeah what, so what, uh, what you do yeah. for work or for volunteer uh for both like briefly oh, okay yeah 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 sure so yeah I for my jobs um I just do like research assistant so I work for one professor that I um that she, her, she does like um it's oral narrative so basically she like talks to asylum seekers and um immigrants about their experiences and their stories and she's doing a project right now about um about basically people that seek asylum when they are in the U.S. they have to prove that they have a credible fear of returning to their country. And so that's why they're seeking asylum in the US because like if they go back to their country, something can happen to them. And so in order to like determine if their asylum case is um, legitimate, an officer basically like will interview them and be like, why are you afraid to return? What happened to you? What evidence do you have that you can't return to your country? And um, and so what, yeah and so what you say is so important and sometimes you'll have like two or three interviews and and so what she does is talk to people about um their experience like sometimes you know if you don't speak the same language sometimes you get confused if you've been through something traumatic and so sometimes you can say something and then say something different 
at another interview and so then they like deny your asylum claim because they're like oh you lied and they're like no I just like I don't know if you're mm -hmm. talking about something like someone hitting you or someone like robbing you you know it's and so we talk to people that kind of have been through that and about their experience with their interviews and with just like coming to the United States and sometimes there are, pe there are people from Mexico or from Central America um, mm -hmm. and then recently we've been talking to people from sorry it's okay. Um, it's okay um recently we've been talking to people that are like like actually at the border and like waiting to get into the united states but they're like oh, okay. there's like this new law like the migration protection protocols that like trump implemented that mm -hmm. like has like people have to wait in mexico for their asylum case to be heard and so huh. um it's it's um, yeah, and so there are people that are just kind of waiting there, and so I translate a lot for her, so I'll just, like, or interpret, like, we'll have, like, a three-way call, and, like, someone will be, like, talking, and so then I, like, tell her what they're saying, and then, Whoa, like, she, wow. and, um, and then I code a lot for her, which is, like, like, um, like, I write up the transcript of, you know, the whole conversation, and then I, like, put it into different categories about what we talked about, um, on like what she's looking for specifically like if they're talking about their experience back home and then like I don't know, I'd like put it into an excel sheet so that's what I do for her but I also do random stuff for her like she'll randomly ask me like hey can you like check the bibliography of this so like right. I, I'm just basically like a assistant yeah. and then for the other professor I work for I'm working on her project that's like looking at different organizations like state organizations in New York State that help immigrants um or that just like promote immigrant integration and we're just kind of like logging like all the offices that exist in new york that do this and like their websites and who to contact and how easy it is to contact them and like kind of it's a like it's kind of tedious but it's like it's work that um we're i think we're like what she's trying to do is see uh how easy it is for immigrants to like access these services and like mm -hmm. how much is the state doing versus how much are like organizations that haven't like don't have anything to do with the state are doing so um i'm like working with her on that and is then that, sorry does that is that more of like a, a opposed to the first professor the second professor is more like a research based job yeah it's it's a lot more like specific like for the the second one because she has like a project that I'm on uh, so basically like I log on and like I work on that project and right. like it's all specific and okay. with Sarah who's like my other boss like it's like it can be any like she'll like randomly email me and be like hey can you like find like three people to interview that are like you know from El Salvador but that live in New York. And so then you, I have to you, like kind of find those people. <laughs> so what I've done <laughs> a lot is yeah, like Twitter, like yeah. surprisingly is just like, like I've found people through Twitter. I've found people um, through like organizations that like know a, a person that knows a person. Actually my mom, because like my mom works with a lot of immigrants. Um, like oh, really? one of yeah, because my mom like my mom clean has like a house cleaning business, and a lot of the people she works with are from Central America, and so like she managed me to connect me with like someone that knew someone that like 
So it's, it's a lot of just like word of mouth and like a lot right. of cold emails, like just like sending shit that ne- you never hear back from. But um, Twitter was surprisingly useful when I had to find like Chinese asylum seekers because that's another big category of people that seek asylum in the US and from China. And, um, huh. and I found this guy that like was hosting a Chinese asylum seeker at his house through Twitter and like we just talked through Twitter and then we like ended up interviewing him so it's 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 a it's yeah it's it's less like structured but um but it ends up working out like after so it's 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 cool Mm -hmm. but then like yeah with my second job it's like a lot more like structured I see in that sense um wow but yeah so for that one I just have to like log hours basically because she already kind of knows what the end of the project's going to be so I just like am working through it so mm-hmm. um and then the other thing I so I also volunteer for two organizations and like I started volunteering before I had a job or school so like it's kind of like all piled up now but um for the first one I do is like I it's also interpreting so like translating like uh, for there's it's this organization called Safe Passage Project that's mm-hmm. also in New York, and they are pro bono lawyers right. that represent children who are seeking asylum in the United States or like are unaccompanied like that cross the border without adults, and so um, they provide lawyers to children for free, and a lot of the time the lawyer the lawyers don't speak Spanish but the um the children don't speak english so Mm -hmm. um i like kind of also do the same thing where i just like i'll be on the call with them or like we'll do zoom calls and like um just kind of translate for them and then like explain to them and stuff like that and then um sometimes i'll translate the court documents like for um what they need to sign for like their asylum case or whatever but that's like I'm working on one case right now with Mm -hmm. a lawyer and it just takes a long time and so like randomly I have to like be on a call with them and then the other organization I work for is called RIF which is like refugee immigrant fund and Mm -hmm. that's the one I help people with like work permits or just like general inquiries on how to seek asylum in the United States um like just kind of like support like they call like the volunteers navigators because mm-hmm. we like help people navigate things that they have access that are, that they're like legally allowed to do but like don't know so like we'll help them fill out like unemployment things and like sometimes some of the volunteers help people with their asylum applications um mm-hmm. and just generally like any kind of like in, like if you're you know in new york and you don't know what to do kind of riff like every Wednesday has like a like basically it's me and like three other people and we're just like on a zoom call and anybody can pop in to like as if it's like an office but like they're all asylum seekers yeah a lot of the time they're asylum seekers or sometimes they're immigrants um that just are undocumented or sometimes they just want to know like how they apply to for like some of the COVID relief or something you know and so then you just kind of like guide them and mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Wow. help people out with that. Yeah, you're all all of your jobs and volunteers and studying. They're all so intertwined. No. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's worked out like that. Um, um, 
So you can like apply from what like what something you learn from one study or yeah one of the papers i wrote actually like i used some of the field work i guess that Mm -hmm. i do just as a volunteer because like i mean it's obviously like i'm i'm a volunteer so it's not like unbiased but it's still like this is my experience and working and like volunteering for these organizations um Mm -hmm. and it worked as for like one article i had to write for one of my classes so i see are like some of the asylum seekers that you um, interact with online, whether it's through your uh, working under your professor mm-hmm. or as a volunteer, are some of those you know asylum seekers like really in fear and not in a really yeah positive state of mind to communicate or because uh, they're, yeah, they're calling and, yeah. they're calling from the countries that they want to like leave from usually right well sometimes sometimes they're in New York already. Um, and they just kind of got there and like either they like um, came in as a tourist or uh, um, or crossed the border illegally or something um, but sometimes the people are um, like in Mexico like some of the people I talked I've talked to are just kind of waiting in Mexico to get into the United States and so yeah it's it's always different, but it's always like, um, I think the thing that, um, like I always realize when I talk to people that are like that is like, like I'm so critical of the US asylum system. Mm -hmm. Like I'm always like, you know, it's, it's cruel. Like, you know, they're, they were separating people at the, like separating kids from their parents at the border, like, but it's crazy how different the perspective is from asylum seekers. Like everyone tells me that the United States is this like amazing place and that all they want is to live there or live here. And that, um, and even the people that are already in the United States that still haven't gotten asylum and are waiting to hear their decision are just like so thankful for the country. And they're like, you know, yeah, like, it sucks that people are racist, but like this country is like amazing. And so it's like, it's weird for me sometimes because it's like humbling because I'll be like, oh, I'm so critical of this country. But like for some people, like their expectations are just like, dude, I just want to live somewhere where I'm not going to like be killed, like for, you know, speaking out or something. And like, obviously a lot of bad stuff happens in the United States, but like, um, but yeah it's it's like i wish people would kind of stop criminalizing people that are trying to come here because so many of them just want to be safe and just kind of feel like the united states is like this amazing place that will give them safety and like that's not always the case but that's like their idea of it so like um yeah it's it's and sometimes it's just like it's really hard to talk to people because they're going through stuff that's so bad and you have like nothing to say that can even like remotely relate to what they're going through and like and for me it feels like kind of like the least I can do is like feel stressed out about someone's story because like yeah like it sucks because you know sometimes people are like well take care of yourself like if if it becomes overwhelming to like always hear all these negative things you know like take a day to like self-care or whatever 
but and I think that's fine like it's 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 like good to you know care about yourself but for me I really feel like it's like the least I can do is feel like shit because someone else is like going through something awful like even if I can't do anything like at least I'm like listening and I'm trying to like do whatever I can to like you know even if I can't help them at least I can listen to them and um and yeah it's you know some people just like it's the stuff they go through is like terrible and Mm you 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 wish that you had like a a way of of changing it but it's so like it's just so normal like uh, one of the things almost every person that has been detained by ICE by like the immigration control enforcement um in the United States everybody says is that they put you in this like cell that's like freezing that they call it the freezer like all everyone in Spanish, they call it the yelera. Like everybody's always like, yeah, and it's so cold. And they give you these like aluminum blankets that don't warm you up at all. And you're in there for like 24 to 48 hours. And like, it's like kind of this weird psychological torture uh, in a way, you know? And they're all, they all go through that. And it's just protocol. At, at the border? At the border and like at just detention centers at the border. So like- um they catch you trying to catch like cross the border or if you like try to you know turn yourself in because you want to seek asylum or something like um and so yeah there's just like a lot of terrible stuff going on that's just like kind of like you people know it's happening but it's just like you know like it's just the law and so um but yeah people are definitely like in fear and like don't always know what they can say sometimes when with my the job with Sarah who talks to people like sometimes they're really suspicious they think we're part of the government or Mm -hmm. we're we're trying to you know and so um there's a lot of like trust that like is involved and there's also like you also have to make clear that you can't do anything you know because like sometimes if you're talking to someone about their experiences they think like you're there to like get them out and sometimes it's like all we can do is listen so it's it's hard because like you don't want to make right. like give people like high expectations like oh I'm gonna write a paper about this <laughs> experience, right. but it's like not gonna mean that someone's yeah. like gonna come and change it. And so it's a very like I stress see. like you always have to worry about you know you're talking to people you know it's not just research and so it's it's important to kind of put that first and like you know respect people and like um treat them as like you know normal human beings and so yeah it's it's uh it's tough but I definitely would say that like a lot of the people are in fear and like Mm -hmm. you know yeah yeah that's yeah I can see how obviously talking to people and gathering their uh, stories um and you know creating a paper or doing something about that um, can spread awareness and maybe even change the policy or I'm not really sure, but on the other side, yeah, like the the asylum seekers that talk to you um, when they realize that, Oh, like talking to you or these organizations, not really going to change my Mm -hmm. situation. um, I can see how that's very disappointing for them too. And then it's conflicting for you, I guess, at the same time. Yeah, because it's something that maybe can affect it long term, but like yeah, exactly. I think yeah, people are like suffering short term right now, yeah, and so it's yeah. just like 
what's the fastest way you can help someone and sometimes it's just like yeah. like I know what um my um boss does is like she like always keeps in contact with a lot of the people that she interviews uh, okay. and like now for Christmas she like sent a couple people like money like um from her like whenever we res we interview anybody for the project we send them money um for oh, participating yeah. yeah and so like then it's not just like a give us an hour of your time <laughs> for free but um and so yeah it just I feel like a lot of what I also enjoy about immigration research and like how I like in academia like that I feel is changing is like this community it's not just like you're writing a paper about something that you're not involved in it's like mm -hmm. a lot of community engagement and research in like text research and so like it feels like I'm not just writing about people I'm part of their community yeah. and I'm writing about their experience but they also like know who I am yeah. and yeah. like you know you it's and and you're like making sure they're consenting to like what you're writing about and like you know their voice is also just as important as like your like analysis in your paper and so I feel like immigration like is kind of a field where people like it's it's not just like the academics writing about it it's a very like community kind of activism and academic combination and like lawyers also like um you kind of talk to people from a bunch of different fields it's very mm -hmm. multidisciplinary in that sense so that's also cool i see this is this is a uh, kind of a stretch but i guess you've lived in many places and you're in a sense uh, a migrant yourself yeah. <laughs> i am yeah, and, you know maybe like you know, because you 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 told me that you believe every uh, person has a right to freely move to different places, um, and you know, obviously, the experience between and the motive between the asylum seeker um, and like someone like me who can kind of freely move and live other places mm -hmm. uh, are different situation. But uh, maybe because because you know all the benefits, um, mm -hmm. you know, good things that come with moving to different places and taking in uh, these experiences maybe have led you to become uh, an advocate of mm -hmm. people freely moving in the world yeah I don't know. no I mean I <laughs> no I think so though like when you think about like if you can move like it's just it's frustrating sometimes when you realize how much harder things are for people because they don't have like like basically money like it's it's usually it's it's really just money like if you have the money to like buy a ticket and get a visa and get a passport you know um like that those are like things that like when when someone's like oh I want to travel or something like it's not something it's something you just assume like that person can do but there's like all these like steps to be able to leave your country and so I just don't think it should be reserved for just people with money. You know, I, I don't think Im immigrating and moving and experiencing other places should just be for people that are rich or like not like rich, but you know, just have like, you know, don't ha like have money to spend on it and or, or risk it. Like, you know, like, cause some people, like a lot of the people that migrate 
um, are risking everything you know they're like abandoning their homes and they're like I like this is like our life savings and especially this happens in Central America where they like give all their money to like this guy who's like telling them he's going to get them across the border and like they're doing it all because they're like okay but once we get there things are going to be okay and so I just feel like it shouldn't be it shouldn't be so easy for me to move and then for someone who's like moving mm -hmm. to like better their life not to you know um and I think I would feel that way whether or not I immigrated but I do think it like influences it because it's like it shouldn't be that my experience is that different and in Japan it's actually like really noteworthy because like someone like me you know gets paid by the Japanese government to come study in Japan and like you know talk like so I can have like this experience about like studying in Japan and it was a really great experience for me but you know there's a bunch of people from Thailand from like Indonesia from like even like South Korea that are treated terribly in Japan because you know or they'll be on these like this like these like trainee visas that like you know then and then they get like deported or told to leave after like five years or something and so it's a very different migrant experience depending on where you're coming from. And so I don't think that should be the case. Right. Yeah, definitely not. Definitely not. Yeah. And yeah, like where, where you're at uh, right now is pretty inspiring for me because, you know, you are working um, and also studying that subject that you, that's aligned with your ethics and your beliefs. And yeah, that's, something that I'm kind of searching mm -hmm. for right now um yeah I will say it's not sustainable like it's I can't get like I mean right now I'm hoping it will be at some point but right now you know I'm working like two jobs but I still am like not making enough to like rent my own like I mean mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. I took out a loan basically to mm -hmm. rent an apartment and so like that's I think the shitty part of like being like when you care about something and like you want to work in something because I always talk about about this with my roommate because my roommate has a really good job um she's a graphic designer and she does not like her job at all like she's like always kind of depressed but she makes good money and yeah. for me I feel I never feel like annoyed like I never feel like my job like sometimes I'm like you know sad or whatever like I mentioned but but I love my job like I love working and what I'm working in you know and I wish that I was making enough to not have to like also apply to work at like you know anything else like right now because I'm making you know basically minimum wage to work this right. because like you know hope hopefully in a couple years it'll pay off but um and so I know a lot of people don't have the ability to do that, you know, and, 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 and this always happens with, um, with internships too, where like you want to work in something, but they offer you an internship and it's unpaid. And so when you think about it, all the people that can do that, that can work for that long without being paid are either in a position where like they don't need the money or are like risking and like you know and right. it's 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 it sucks but it happens a lot when you work in something that isn't profitable yeah 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 no I get it like I was doing some research about 
uh, social workers and what they do and a lot of the I read a lot of the blogs of social workers and they very they're very underpaid and very overworked um, and yeah a lot of these I guess jobs um, or projects that are related to humanities um, mm-hmm. helping others and not obviously not seeking necessarily seeking for profit um, kind of leads yeah yeah like you can in academia like you can at least like apply to like grants and stuff and like fund your research and like you can look at it from that way and then with a lot of NGOs you can also apply for grants from the government and and it's always it's always going to be this like process of like you're trying to like get funded because what you're doing is important and not because what you're doing is going to make money and so like I think I think the people that um, like work in something that makes like, I, I think like the best case scenario is to find something that like helps and makes you feel good, but also makes money yeah. <laughs> because yeah, then yeah. you can like be like, all right, well, you know, this project isn't, is also generating funds. And so it's worthwhile investing in. I mean, that's like, just like a bigger problem of just capitalism in general. And it's like, mm-hmm. unless it's something profitable, it's like, it's going to be really hard to, to get people to, to, to want to pay you to do it so um but I I in my experience like and this has just been like from a year or not like I guess around like a year of trying to like stay in the field use what I studied and like like do it's been really good for me like I feel like it could have gone a lot worse during a pandemic and so I'm I'm hopeful that like in the next couple years if if I don't get into the PhD, I still end up kind of getting a job in this because I have a lot more experience with it. Um, and and I guess I don't really care about making a lot of money. I just kind of want to make enough to, you know, have mm. a good quality of life. Yeah, um, yeah. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I feel like they're just things that you always sacrifice for other things and so Mm -hmm. um yeah I think it's just about trying to find that that balance and like if you can if you because some people like just really want to be rich and so like exactly I understand if you're like I'm going to be in this job I hate for like 10 years but then I'm just gonna like live it up like that's great you know I just like yeah so I I yeah I, I guess it's it's one of those things you just have to kind of figure out what makes you feel better because in a way you're paying even if like you're making a lot of money you're still paying with like mental health like if you're deteriorating your mental health like that's a form of losing yeah yeah you know like even if you're making a lot of money yeah definitely there's like I think two steps first step is to realize what kind of life style uh, will make you happy and the second mm-hmm. is to find a way to live that lifestyle, but to be um, self-sufficient or be able to mm-hmm. make a living off of it. So, yeah. but yeah, there's, like you said, there's definitely some sort of sacrifice here and there. Uh, yeah. Can I ask you a completely unrelated question? Yeah. You told me that you rewatched Star Wars and Office and <laughs> <laughs> or the Rings. Yeah. And you said that's anxiety related, but I was wondering yeah. if it's 
a way to cope with anxiety or is it that you do it because you're anxious i you know it's funny because like yeah for the summary thing i was like do yeah. i just talk about my job or do i talk about no. me as no. a person and so because like, i also want to i also want to like ask get into that aspect too i know like we've talked for like about an hour and a half but you know i'll do no, the editing and stuff later so yeah um yeah i i think like um because i i genuinely laughed when uh, i read <laughs> yeah so i always like because like people always make fun of me for this but i really think it's a it's a comfort thing because like yes i'm a very anxious person and like i struggle with anxiety a lot like my whole life almost um but i didn't even know it was anxiety i think when i was younger but now i like you know and and i have this thing where like i like I just rewatch stuff and I've done this forever like when I was younger I used to just watch like the same Pokemon movie over and over again and like I still sometimes watch Pokemon but um it's lately been more of like The Office or Star Wars or Lord of the Rings and um so I think like when when I just find something that like gives me comfort um I just kind of have to like watch it or like do it all the time and so like with certain movies or just certain shows I just like I don't know it makes me feel better like it, it's funny because when I go to sleep at night I like always put on something I've already seen like I never watch new stuff it takes so much for me to watch something new like someone has to like be like hey you have to watch this and then I also get really into stuff so like if I watch something I'm like full in like I know every character I know every like like I like think about it a lot like too much and so like I, I think maybe that's probably another reason why I don't like watching new stuff and like I don't have to think about um like new characters and stuff yeah. but um but I love like and I love like Lord of the Rings and Star Wars because I think like they're just they have like really um like I don't know you can just like talk about the like themes in it and the messages that the lord of the ring like lord of the rings gives you like i always like talk to people about lord of the rings because i'm like lord of the rings teaches you that like you're never the same after you leave your home and you can like go back but it's not the same like mm. frodo i don't know i'm sure you've heard my like, and then star wars like I mean, you know <laughs> star wars just like also has like random themes in it and like i don't know i just like i like think um yeah no not Darth Maul but um yeah I don't know I think I just like have a very like I'm I'm like super like I don't know like nerd in that sense like I just like as a kid always liked a bunch of like nerd stuff and like as an adult I like try to like not be make that my personality because like Why? I hate I don't know because I hate when people like especially with dating like it's the worst when men are like oh you like video games or like oh you like star wars it's like gross like i don't like being the person that like people see as like oh she likes pokemon even though like i know most people see me and already think that but um you know i feel like there's a lot more to people's identities than just the stuff they like and right. so <laughs> i try right. to not like be super forceful about it but then like yeah if you like get me talking if you're someone that also like loves yeah. something like that like i'll just like talk for hours about that like i could have a podcast about probably just like star wars you but <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
Uh, uh, there's already too many that do that. But it's, it's important to kind of share your interests and um, if it was to like choose your significant other or whatever. No, don't you want the person to not have no? <laughs> I mean, I like, of course, want to share interest with them. But um, yeah, no, I, I it's just something I bring up later because right. you don't <laughs> want to be like the gamer yeah, girl, yeah. like, you know, you don't want that to be the reason someone likes you, but yeah, um, it is unfortunate how society. <laughs> but I also just to tie it back to anxiety. I also think, like as a kid, like I grew up an only child, and um, I like lived kind of like because I think I mean I was an immigrant. My parents didn't speak English, um, at least not well. My mom speaks it like a lot better now, but like when I was a kid, they didn't really speak it, and. Um, so like I felt like alone a lot as a kid just because like you know I went to school in English and then my Spanish like was kind of like not as like I always spoke Spanish but um it was just this like language I spoke with my parents so it wasn't as developed as English was when I was a kid mm -hmm. it's a lot better now because I like work a lot in Spanish but um so I just felt really alone a lot and I think I really got attached to the like things I watched and also like the games I played and right, so like right. yeah and so I think like it's that feeling of like finding like a comfort in a memory it's kind of like that same feeling and so I'm very like nostalgic and so like I think a lot of the things that I do to help my anxiety just come from like trying to find like comfort in things and so um yeah I think like you know a lot of the reason like a lot like the reason I wrote that was just kind of like a like this is how I cope with anxiety I always mm -hmm. I also write a lot you know I write a journal like you know you know that For but 10 years <clears throat> yeah and so like I think I just like I don't want to forget things I'm like afraid of forgetting things that I like um I felt mm -hmm. like I'm <laughs> I'm I'm just like like anxiety is like weird because I feel like so many people are anxious for different things right. and my anxiety really stems from like like that things are I guess maybe a lot of people but it's just like things are very uh like nothing lasts a long time and so like everything's always changing and so like it's stressful to me because it's like some like you can have a relationship with someone or a friendship with someone or like you know and then like that thing just kind of stops being that way or like your childhood home is no longer that same like you can't go back to it you know and um and so like having a journal and I guess this even ties to like having shows and movies that always stay the same mm -hmm. but um yeah it just kind of helps me like okay like I was in this moment at that time and I this is how I was experiencing that moment mm -hmm. and so it makes me feel more like grounded to like who I am as opposed right. to like you know it's like I'm like oh like sometimes I'll remember stuff and I'm like god like who was that was that me like I'm so different now and I huh. like it and like how how different am I going to be in 10 years and it's scary because like right now because I'm me I don't want to forget who I am right now and so it's like a very weird like crazy type of anxiety that's just like you know yeah. uncertainty of yeah, the future yeah, yeah. but I feel like when you write journal or 
watch these, you know, movies or TV shows uh, over and over, uh, it might be that they're just bringing you in present, uh, mm-hmm. kind of bringing back your thoughts and your consciousness um, into one thing or just focusing on something. Yeah. You know? Because, I mean, thinking about the future is anxious for everybody. Everybody mm-hmm. has different ways of coping. And because you also wrote, um, you know, um, you, you're trying to be a minimalist, getting rid of things, mm-hmm. I guess. And I was, I, I don't know where I read it, but um, some time ago that um, when you have a bunch of, for example, like clothes um, that you don't think about or you don't wear um, on your, your everyday life, that actually can um, give you anxiety when you possess mm-hmm. stuff that you don't even think of uh, yeah which I thought was pretty interesting uh, yeah no and it, it it's been like a, a like a kind of year maybe two year long like slow process because mm-hmm. I do like I'm very sentimental with material things like if like someone gave me like a like a I think I still have like a five yen coin that you gave me when I first went to Japan like I I hold on to things because I'm like this is gonna matter to me and like when I'm old and like going through boxes or whatever I don't know so I literally have a box they will they will yeah yeah but I have a box of like thing like notes that I used to like pass in high school with like friends and like stickers and like all like just like I have so much stuff and I'm so nostalgic and and so I um like started kind of last year being like all right like I'm not going to get rid of that stuff because like that stuff holds sentimental value but I need to start like getting rid of stuff that I don't use and because I have so much clothes and I have so much like like art and stuff and like so many Pokemon plushies like too many um like stuffed animals Uh yeah like just like cute stuffed animals that make my room look like I'm 12 but like um it's uh so I've just like kind of started like and my mom's also like a hoarder like she has like napkins from like 2000 like (laughs) napkins from like happy new year 2000 like 12 or something and like let's throw these away she's like no so um and and I think it helps a lot to have like these like kind of rituals and routines to like you feel better when you start getting rid of stuff so like I like will like put all my the clothes I don't want in like a bag and like give it away and it's like it feels like okay like I got rid of like Mm. it's almost like the like it was like the weight of like all the things I have are just like on my like on me physically and so like when you get rid of stuff it feels better like that and so I'm trying to do that more um I still haven't mastered it, but I think like eventually, like it's better to just kind of hold on to, mm-hmm. to some things that are important and then just kind of like give away a lot of stuff that isn't. And just for the world too, like I feel mm-hmm. like we have just like there's so many, like there's so much clothes being made and there's so much used clothes already out there. Like it's just, I, I think it, it helps to to be less like consumery about the things that you like to just buy less of new things and like Mm -hmm. try to like you know make with what you have and whatnot so yeah i'm I'm trying but it's yeah yeah. it's it's tough it is you're good at that you have like shirts yeah 
No, I think I have I, ha- I have bunch, but I hide those because I don't want people to know. <laughs> so, but when I when I moved out of my old apartment, I actually yeah got rid of a lot of things. Um, I just donated. Or... And I feel like you didn't even have that many things in that apartment. You had like a mirror and like a futon and like. Oh yeah, well, in terms of in book. terms of uh, clothes. Yeah. But you had like not that much clothes, like. Just... Well, that was like two. That was like. <laughs> A year ago, but <laughs> no, I like, I like you know like to go, um, two three stores and just, you know. yeah. I think it's just aesthetically pleasing for my eyes, so I guess that's yeah. also why I go. Um, but that also helps, I think, though, mental health wise. Like when things look mm-hmm. aesthetically pleasing, I yeah. think it helps anxiety. Like I can't work, I can't start working unless I make my bed. Like, it's, like, a weird, like, I can, but I don't feel good. That's a good habit. Yeah. I just like that things look kind of organized before Uh I start doing something. And, like, that's a habit I learned because when I was a kid, I did not care. I, like, just threw everything on the ground, like, did not care. And as an adult, I, like, realized, like, oh, this affects me mentally. Like, I'm stressed Uh out because I keep thinking about, like, the laundry I have to do. And I'm not oh. working on, so I, I think like having more of a routine helps out with that kind of. Yeah, yeah. I guess yeah, like you said, it's when you're trying to like, start a habit or whatever. It's good to ask yourself why you're doing it or mm-hmm. what kind of effect it has on you mentally or physically. And yeah. Not 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 just do it because you know people tell you to do it. And it's a good thing. You know, mm-hmm. necessarily. Well, that's pretty much what I wanted to ask you. Um, thank you for sharing what you do for work and uh, what, what you're studying and also sharing about your um, just habits and ways to deal with anxiety. Because I think a lot of people, especially in their 20s, are kind of, um, including myself, trying to still figure out what sort of like we talked about what sort of lifestyle or mm-hmm. habits or whatever that work for you the best mentally and physically mm-hmm. um, thinking about their career so yeah it was it was really nice to um, touch on these subjects uh, with you yeah sorry if I was a bit all over the place but no, no, um, no. no. thank you for asking me <laughs> and giving me the opportunity to be on your podcast this yeah. is an honor <laughs> Okay, I'll just stop recording. For that. <laughs> okay.